0: Do we do the clap? Okay, are you ready? Yeah. Are you going to say three, (laughs) two, one, and then clap? Yeah. Three, two, one, then clap. Okay. Ready? Yeah.
1: Three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to First Aid Lit. We're a podcast that promotes and explores the life-saving power of literature. We discuss the books you should carry in your literary first aid kit for any situation. I'm Nicola Sheppey. I'm Angela Wipperman. And we have nothing from there. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Angela how are you what have you been reading this week? I what have I been reading this week I've been continuing on with Wolf Hall because it is an incredibly long book so that's been taking up most of my reading time but I'm also finally starting Girl Woman Other by Bernadine Evaristo and I'm one chapter in and really enjoying it I think it's going to become a top read of the year I think it probably deserves all the hype it's had I mean, certainly based on the first chapter. Have you read that I have,
1: yeah. I was actually going to ask you, are you reading it as a physical book or are you listening to it? Because I think, a little plug for BBC Sounds here, I think they've released the whole book as an audiobook and apparently my housemate's been listening to it and she said
0: it's really good. So I am reading it as a physical book and actually not on a Kindle, which is... (laughs) a nice change for me because i'm trying to support more small bookshops so yeah it's nice to have a physical book in my hand it'd be interesting to see like this it feels like there's a difference between an audio book and yeah
1: book. i mean the thing with the book as well is because it's written almost in a kind of poetic style there isn't really a lot of punctuation so i'd like to i kind of want to listen to it as an audiobook as well i have actually read it i read it about three four months ago and i also love it i kind of like as well i like the style of lots of little chapters put together that almost feels like a book of short stories but then you kind of see ways that their story connects throughout the book it's very interesting and what about you
0: what's on your oh
1: well i'm cheating this week i want to talk about something i'm watching but it's based on a book actually i've just finished watching it my housemate and i binged it it is the the program little fires everywhere and it's based on the book by celeste Ng. have you read it angela i have read it and i have also binge watched oh awesome so we can talk about it i'll just introduce it just for anyone who hasn't read it but i'll talk about the book so the story it focuses on two women who have these very different lives the only thing they have in common really is that they're both mothers of teenagers so you've got uh, mia warren who is an artist kind of free spirited very kind of go-with-the-flow, moves around a lot. She moves into a town with her teenage daughter and starts renting from a woman called Elena Richardson, who is as different as you could get. She's very middle-class, very kind of picture-perfect suburban, small-town life type of mum. She's got four teenage kids. And the story focuses on their children's as their lives kind of become entangled. The two women form this very complicated relationship uh, in that they're sort of friends and rivals at the same time. But there is also a really interesting subplot which i really like which is focusing on a transracial adoption so it's um, about a chinese woman i think she has a baby when she's living in extreme poverty she's suffering from postnatal depression and she gives up her baby in desperation but after a year she's back on her feet she's recovered she's um, feeling a lot more financially stable and she wants the baby back by that time she's in the process of being the baby is in the process of being adopted by an affluent white american couple and that kind of further drives the wedge between the two mothers as well and there's also this kind Kind of interesting debate around adoption and race and discrimination, and Hulu adapted it into a mini series. So Kerry Washington and Reese Witherspoon executive produced the show and also starred in it as the two women. And uh yeah, I've just binged it completely. I think the show follows the book pretty closely, but I think it gives it explores a lot more about the characters' backstories and themes about race and and themes about motherhood. Mm. I mean, I
0: just absolutely loved it. What did you think, Angela? So I had quite a big gap between reading the book and watching the show because the book I read so I, a couple yeah. of years ago. So it's actually quite good to come to the show a bit later because i couldn't remember all the details i felt that the acting was on point yeah I mean, reese with has her kind of uptight narrow-minded wasp woman character on point kerry washington's really good the kids are great as well and what other people seem to feel as well by reading twitter comments is that you kind of kind of shift who you agree with but i think by the end I mean, maybe it's different for everyone else, but by the end, I think it's a, you feel perhaps a little bit clearer about who is mostly in the right and who's mostly in the wrong. But, you know, that everyone has a moment, I think, where you're like, oh, I do kind of see where you're coming from, or I can sympathise with that. Basically, you think there's no one that is free of their problems which yeah is I great. definitely agree that's probably one of the
1: strongest parts about the book and the show is that you're not really sure whose side you're on and obviously we won't spoil it for anyone who's listening who hasn't watched it or read it because you should watch it and read it but it's such an interesting dilemma at the heart of the book for lots of different characters it is really fascinating to try and explore how you'd feel in each different character's shoes and I really like that I know in the book, and again, I had a massive gap from reading it, but then my housemate has just finished the book and went straight into the TV show. And I think it was still quite a rewarding experience for both of us. I think the the show does enough away from the book to still make it really compelling and interesting, but also sticks to a lot of the you know, the characters and the themes that you already know. But one thing that was quite different in the book is that in the book, they don't specify Mia Warren's race and her daughter. In the show, they cast Kerry Washington and her daughter's played by Lexi Underwood, who are two black women. So their race becomes a much bigger part of their identity in the show. And you can sort of see how it plays into their life and their experience growing up, particularly in contrast to Reese Witherspoon's character and her family. And I thought that was a really cool choice. I mean, in terms of Mm. kind of opening up more themes and and debates and lookings at discrimination and diversity and you can sort of see why certain characters side with other characters because they feel yeah. more empathy or there's more more chance for the kids even to
0: confront their issues about race and i just found that i found that really interesting good adaptation yeah. which brings us nicely on to more adaptations Ooh. Because you found out that they are making conversations with friends by mm. Sally Rooney, which yes. I presume is a decision based on the success of the normal people. Adaptation. I think that's pretty much a no-brainer.
1: Yeah, they. I think they announced yeah. it pretty much as soon as normal people dropped and went. Ballistic and everybody loved it but I think they've confirmed more recently that it's the it's Hulu again Hulu are loving their adaptations and it's the same creative team I think it's the same director but yeah I think it's very much going to be made with the same vibe of normal normal people
0: I was about to say normal friends that's not how are you feeling about it I don't know I have a weird relationship with Sally Rooney in that I love her writing I love her prose style she's so sparse and yet somehow writes these really beautiful lines that don't have many words in them but they say a lot anyway like i just she's really amazing of her writing style but i didn't really understand why i was meant to care about any of the characters and maybe there isn't meant to be a point
1: yeah well so did you watch normal people
0: i did and how did you find that read the book and yeah watched the adaptation and really enjoyed both again i find the characters quite frustrating but i think that is kind of the point with that book in that they are so bad at communicating that they have all these missed opportunities or these misunderstandings that lead to more trouble so that's kind of the point of the characters i think Mm. i thought the adaptation was was brilliant and really beautiful and I guess you know it's it's meant to be the millennial novel oh, god so yeah it presented a relationship in a really relatable way so i have read both and i watch normal people and i didn't love
1: the show as much as everybody else seemed to and i don't know why i think it might be i'm i'm some sort of emotional void <laughs> because everybody was saying how they were weeping and how and i, I and i think part of the problem is because again the thing i like so much about the book and the miscommunication I think is kind of lost slightly when you adapt it because you're no longer in their minds. You can't really see. Oh, that's them. so true. Yeah, and I think that's probably so. It, you know, in the book, there is this kind of they have a very undefined relationship, and you and you can really feel why, and you can really relate to that struggle they're both having. Even if one of them is being a bit of a pen in the arse about it, you can really identify it and relate it to back to your own experiences. Whereas in the show, you're like, oh, just get together already, like come on. But I, I'm aware I'm being very. Uh, unpopular no I
0: think that's actually really makes sense I saw quite a few people on Twitter saying something similar yeah I wasn't like weeping away I was enjoying it but I think the point you make is feels really true in that certain things that you can do with a book don't necessarily work in a TV show or a film because you don't get the interiority so you just see these people being annoying without quite getting the full reasoning behind that
1: yeah and they did some very clever camera work to, to, to try and convey it but i think it worked better in the book but i think ultimately normal people i think is quite well suited for a tv show because it's quite episodic it's got you can it follows the characters through quite a long time but i feel like conversations with friends i just don't know how they're going to do it and i've i've heard that it, it's going to be a 12 parter again i mean i read the book I want to say it feels like a lifetime ago, but it was probably the start of this year. That's how long 2020 has been. That was a lifetime ago. <laughs> so 500 years ago, I read this book. I think I read it in two days because, you know, I totally agree. She's got a very readable prose style. But I could not tell you from memory the kind of episodic moments in the book. I think it's, it felt quite like not a lot actually happened. There's not a lot of plot compared to normal people. So I'm a bit worried that they're going to try and recreate the magic of normal people as they're kind of pushing forth. And I don't know if people are going to expect the same experience. If they haven't read the book, they might expect the same thing when they watch the TV show. But I know many people are very
0: excited about it. So, I mean, who knows when they'll even be able to start filming it? I read the book. I was about to say, I remember reading the book. But similarly to you, I read it this year. I read it in like March. That's insane, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember when reading it. So I think it's Nick, isn't it? The guy, one, the half, one half of the couple they meet.
1: Yeah. We should summarise it very quickly. So it, it follows a narrator is called Francis. I think she is a 21-year-old woman and she's got a friend called Bobby. They, they work together as spoken word artists and they become friends with this kind of older glamorous journalist called Melissa and she has a slightly toy boy-esque husband, Called Nick. I think he's still presented as being quite older, even though he's probably about thirty-two. But as as the book progresses, the friendship and the relationship between the four of them gets a bit more messy. But um, sorry to, uh, to tell me what you're saying about Nick. Well,
0: I mean, I was about to say one of the things that you just mentioned, which is when reading the book, I thought, oh, Nick is this older guy, you know, maybe in his late forties. And then at some point, she says he was uh-huh. thirty-one. a minute. <laughs> oh, good God! <laughs> I'm thirty-one and that made me feel a bit sad that yeah I was the same age as this guy that one of the main characters is kind of thinking as this older more mature man but you know I suppose when you're 21 a 10 year age gap yeah, really does feel Yeah but I think
1: big. you did make the point to me once that she does write him as a bit of a too old man. I mean yeah. he hasn't got a lot of characterization, and I think that's another way that the adaptation might suffer is that because with normal people you had both sides of their relationship, you saw into both their minds whereas in conversations with friends you've only got Francis's input, and she totally sees it all wrong. Essentially, that's kind of the the, the theme of the book is that she's, yeah. she's she sees her relationship with Nick as being very one sided, whereas in reality, it's a little bit more equal. So I wonder if how they're going to adapt that and how they're going to make that clearer.
0: I mean, I'm going to watch it, obviously. Oh yeah, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta know what people are talking about on. Twitter. I know exactly. You gotta be part of the conversation, so <laughs> we've got to have something to talk about on this podcast. <laughs> I, all we, t- all we ever seem to talk about is adaptations, but. I love an adaptation, so I'm fine with that.
1: There are a lot at the moment. And also, you know, it's lockdown. We have little else to be doing than watching telly and reading books. So when they marry
0: up, that's great. Very, very briefly, staying on this theme. Other thing that I Mm. did want to mention was I was having another conversation. I looked up a list of upcoming adaptations and hadn't realised there's some really exciting ones coming up. So we're going to have a lot of fodder for our adaptation section. (laughs) Oh, tell me some. So 2021 we'll be seeing americana on hbo oh is that with um lupita nyong'o it might be uh i don't know who's in the cast but yeah mm. that's by chamanda Ngozi adichie uh cirque by madeline miller which i really enjoyed reading oh and then the other one which i'm really excited about because i loved the book is the underground railroad which is by colson whitehead and i loved that yes. book and i can't even begin to imagine what it's going to be like on on screen. So some really exciting ones coming that's up. That's
1: very cool yeah. as well because they make the railroad very literal in that book. Yes, um, yeah, that's a really cool book. And then you know we've still got Amazon's The Lord of the
0: Rings. Yeah, <laughs> but that isn't going to be the Lord of the Rings, is it? It's going to be kind of a prequel. I
1: don't. Yeah, I think it might be a little bit more. I mean, I'm not. So I'm a massive Lord of the Rings fan in terms of the films. Um, I've read some of the book. Oh my god, Lord we need to have that? like
0: a whole episode on Lord of oh, the Rings all because. Let's oh, I just have to hear the music and I like I yeah. want to cry it's just pure nostalgia it is
1: perfection it is I think it is the best cinema we will yes, see for a undoubtedly
0: uh, I mean it has its flaws you know
1: could do with a lot no, more women it has no flaws <laughs> it has absolutely none. but the Silmarillion is the prequel and I think there might be links to the Silmarillion in the TV show but I don't know I'm talking at my arse let's look it up <laughs> Let's look it up and talk about it next
0: week. Yeah, let's let's actually do some research before we start spouting about it. Yeah. If if you're listening and you know, please tell us because we like to hear facts about Lord. Henry. I will say though, if you haven't already seen on YouTube Josh Gad oh, yeah. is a Hollywood actor, lots of musicals. He's doing a series on YouTube to raise money for charity where he brings together cast from really big franchises and he recently did he recently brought together the cast of The Fellowship of the Ring and it is a good fun watch so I would recommend if you're if you're a Lord of the Rings film fan go and watch the gang get back together it's kind of that seems odd with Josh Gad he's just hosting he's actually a very good host well done Josh Gad Ah. but but it's amazing and it does make you feel like you're part of the gang <laughs> but at the same time they I mean they all look great but they definitely have aged oh and yeah it makes you realize how long ago these films came out which is like 15 years ago uh maybe yeah even longer. I
1: remember seeing them in my local independent cinema when I was about nine years old yeah uh and I absolutely hated it at that age why <laughs> I went to see it I mean I was more interested in the Spice Girls movie <laughs> which is also great yeah and they came out at the same time as Harry Potter as well and I was way I just remember being like there are so many movies of giant spiders at the moment so anyway we are
0: totally digressing please tell us what we're up to today the premise of first aid lit is that we take ourselves off to an imaginary scenario and have a chat about some of the books we might bring along with us or maybe read beforehand to help prepare us or help us during these different scenarios so this week we are going on a murder mystery and we have both picked some books that we think would help us prepare for being in a murder mystery setting so we're going to chat through our book choices and see what we think would would help us get through a murder mystery so i i mean i very much approached it as
1: you are you have to find out who's doing the murder or you will get killed as well just to you know the extra drama
0: oh wow you're up the ante yeah
1: and you know like all good podcasts it's got to be about crimes so and, and solving crime okay so that's kind of the line i went for with
0: this i think i might have gone in as in my head I'm either a bystander which possibly says something about my psyche that I've decided to make myself a bystander in imaginary situation. but anyway <laughs> you're not the victim I'm not the you? victim <laughs> <laughs> um, I think maybe I'm kind of an interested bystander or possibly yeah I might be a sort of detective am I trying to uncover the truth you know essentially what's going to help me work out what's yeah. really going on in this murder mystery situation so yeah to kick things off a book that i recommend to people all the time because i think it is not necessarily underrated in terms of sales it's a book that did really well commercially but i think is underrated as a kind of piece of literature and that is gone girl by Gillian flynn and it is a thriller it follows a story of a woman who goes missing and her husband who becomes the prime suspect after her diary is discovered and that diary turns out to detail abuse by the husband and the breakdown of their marriage and we alternate between Nick the husband's point of view and Amy the wife's point of view who's of course missing and as we see things from their different points of view we slowly start to uncover that there's more to this story than might first appear. I recommend it a lot as being quite a quick read but that doesn't mean that it hasn't got kind of depths to it and that's what i mean i think it kind of doesn't necessarily get the kind of the critical praise that it deserves and maybe we can talk a bit about that later but i think generally when you have in genre fiction it tends to get missed a bit in prizes which sort of like very serious literary fiction that they don't consider genre fiction necessarily to always fall into but it's actually i think a really clever book and as well as a really fun one to read and it's got a classic use of the unreliable narrator everyone in the story pretty much is unreliable and we have to sort of make our own decision as we learn more and more about who we're going to believe and I think that's a useful reminder when I'm entering into my own murder history and perhaps I've kind of I'm at the dinner party and someone's just announced the butler's been murdered it's going to be a useful reminder to remember that not just that it's always the person you least suspect but that also that 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 inversely means it's kind of rarely the most suspicious person who's responsible. Mm. Because in Gone Girl, we immediately think that the husband, Nick, is responsible because sadly, in real life, that's often the case. But in fictional worlds, it might not be so straightforward. And it would be useful to remember that on My Murder Mystery. So
1: I, I have a question about that because I haven't read the book, but I have seen the film, which is great. And do you, as a reader... Do you suspect Nick straight away? Because I think the film starts in his sort of headspace. So he's almost like your, I don't know what the word is, like your audience surrogate character, where he, I don't, I can't remember if he like wakes up or something. He finds out his wife is missing and he calls the police and... Immediately they start to question him, but as a viewer, you're sort of on his side, you're not sure because you're because he is your surrogate character. and um, but in the book, how is that presented? Yeah,
0: in the book, you might not necessarily immediately jump to Nick being responsible. It's certainly sort of set up to make you think, well, they've got this unhappy marriage, he doesn't seem like a very nice husband, he doesn't have an alibi and all of this. so yeah you're you're set up generally to think he seems to be the guy. But you're sort of waiting to uncover more to the story. Interesting. In terms of the film, Gillian Flynn also wrote the screenplay for the film. She did, and yeah. one of the features that appears in the film, which of course also appears in the book, is the cool girl speech, which I don't know if you remember from the film.
1: It's become a very famous speech, I think.
0: Yeah. From the book particularly. Gillian Flynn plays into that perception of... Women pretending to to be someone that men will think are attractive in that sense. So if we haven't watched the film or read the book, there's a section where Amy, the the character that's gone missing in her diary, she writes about the concept of cool girls. And she says, cool girls are above all hot, hot and understanding. Cool girls never get angry. They only smile in a chagrined, loving manner and let their men do whatever they want. She's basically talking about this idea that women become or try to become what men want and that then they will ultimately disappoint. And throughout the book, I think, Gillian Flynn is playing with our ideas of stereotypes about men and women. And that actually, of course, we're all complicated human beings and what we present on the surface isn't necessarily always reflective of who we are underneath. She plays on that further when you get to sections where Nick is being put in front of the media and press conferences and he does like an interview. And it's all about playing to the crowd and trying to present yourself as the right kind of person, the sympathetic person. And sometimes that goes right for him and sometimes it doesn't. But all of this is kind of tied into this murder mystery which is also really fun to read as it as it unfolds but yeah it's very much about perception Mm. i think as well it seems a little bit more of a realer concept
1: um in that you sort of see how people are manipulated in front of the media and in front of you know a potential jury whereas uh, in more traditional crime fiction it's a bit more you don't really necessarily think about that side of it it's more about
0: uncovering straight away
1: who did the murder and who's the most suspicious Um, and i really like that about it
0: it's just just a really smart book as well you know it's just really cleverly tightly plotted and that's what i mean when i think it doesn't necessarily get the praise it deserves because people are sort of a bit dismissive and snobby about thrillers and detective stories but i think it's really clever and it has these sort of feminist undertones and is a good classic mystery story that that you have to unfold. Oh, very good. So that is what I would bring along as my first choice. See this. Uh, shall, I, shall I tell you my first one? Yes. What are you gonna counter with?
1: So I've gone for a slightly more traditional murder mystery roots here. I don't read any murder mystery books generally. So I think I, I might read a few without really realising they're murder mysteries. Yes. But in terms of the actual kind of traditional murder mystery story, I haven't really read a whole lot so i did read probably the most famous or one of the most famous murder mystery books which is of course murder on the orient express by agatha christie obviously agatha christie is a mastermind of meta mysteries she i think she wrote something like 66 novels wow. and 30 or so short stories in her life so murder on the orient express features her famous detective Hercule Poirot. It was published in 1934. It's not the first story where Poirot is introduced, but it is one of his more famous stories. In the, the novel, he is travelling from Istanbul to London on uh, the glamorous Orient Express train when a passenger is unexpectedly murdered inside his own compartment. It's, I think, it's one of those uh, what's known as a locked room mm. mystery. So the room is locked from the inside, the window's open, but there's kind of clues saying that the murderer had no way of getting in and no way of of getting out but it was also clearly not suicide so what could it be? And of course Poirot being the brilliant detective that he is uh, gets to the task of solving the mystery um, and he goes around and interviews all the fellow passengers in the carriage and kind of learns more about their lives and their, mo- their motives and their alibis to try and whittle down who did it, who done it. And the reason I would bring it along um, I think it's probably as close to a how-to guide as you could probably get. When you actually look at the contents page, I mean, so every chapter is named, and it's it starts off as Poirot enters the train. Poirot finds the body. He begins to interview people, and he you know he speaks to each person in turn. He inspects the scene. He puts his theories out there. He kind of bounces ideas off his two fellow detectives in the in the book, and gets their opinions, and um, comes up with multiple solutions. Um, so mm. it's it's kind of exactly how you would approach a real life murder mystery if you were tasked with going in finding out who did it and ultimately not being the next victim so really I think I'd, I'd find that very useful in a real life murder mystery yeah. um, and I think the thing as well is that what I really like about him and again I haven't read a lot of murder mysteries the thing about Poirot that I really like is that he very much thinks about human impulses more than uh, the kind of the police mm. typical courtroom style indications of guilt so there is a moment where a character tries to cover up something about themselves as if not to make them seem more suspicious. And one of his, I think, Monsieur Bouc, who's his friend and helping him solve the case, says to him, well, that means obviously she's guilty because she tried to cover herself up. And he responds with, well, no, actually, I mean, maybe in a courtroom, that's how you'd see it. But in real life, humans tend to act really desperately when faced with these mm. situations where they're worried they're going to be accused of being guilty. So really, that could just be her human nature coming in and she could be perfectly innocent. And I really like that. I think that's that would be very useful yes. and very, a very good thing to remember in A Real Life murder Mystery. And it kind of comes back to what you were saying as well, the people who seem the most suspicious are not necessarily the criminals and we all we don't know how we would truly act in that kind of scenario so yeah that's that is my first book in my kit and i think i would read it beforehand and and try and remember try and um channel my inner poirot that definitely
0: sounds like a good beforehand one to read so you come prepared Mm. but you could also have it on you so you can like you know flick back through but what would poirot do in this situation yeah i think it's a really good point what you raise about human behavior and people not necessarily behaving as you expect they do. Just to bring you back to my my suggestion again, (laughs) um, not to hog the space, but (laughs) there is a scene in Gone Girl where the husband goes in front of the press on his press conference. Someone puts a camera in his face and takes a photo and he smiles because that's what you do when someone holds a camera in front of you and he just does it automatically. And then that smiling photo spreads across the media, which is, you know, missing woman's husband smiles and of course that looks really bad and i think you can point to real life examples where people behave very strangely and are ultimately shown to be innocent um i think one of the most famous cases is amanda knox Mm. famously behaved very very weirdly when she was arrested and i know people have different theories about what really happened in that situation but certainly as it stands currently she's been acquitted and i think people are very quick to judge how someone should behave when actually trauma is presumably gonna make you behave in all kinds of strange ways that, you know, most of us don't really have to experience, thank goodness.
1: Yeah, and I think a really good detective knows that and I know that I've heard before kind of anecdotally that in courtrooms lawyers tend to be more suspicious when witnesses stick to their story and don't ever change it and don't ever have a memory that they say oh did that's it happen that way I'm not, I'm not sure because your human nature is more to forget things to jumble things up whereas if you've been rehearsing an alibi you're much more likely to recite it very accurately every time and i found i just found that a very interesting anecdote that is interesting that's
0: a good thing to remember well in case you're ever in front in of case the, you're on trial for murder Yeah, get your allies straight. Is that the only Agatha Christie book you've read? Because I have not read any Agatha Christie.
1: That is the only one I've read, yeah.
0: Would you recommend it?
1: I would. I'm not sure that I gelled with it as a book this is kind of obvious but it really picked up once the crime happened and one uh, but at the beginning there's quite a lot of filler and I think if you were really keen into crime and and murder mystery fiction you'd enjoy reading it and looking for clues early on whereas I found myself just Mm -hmm. kind of racing through it to find out what happened because it is it is a very rewarding story in terms of you don't really going in with any idea what happened and the solution will surprise you and you know that's quite a hard thing to do but it does have that element of i guess what all crime fiction wants to do which is you know put, put a really good twist in so if if you like the genre i would recommend it i i'm not sure personally how much i would go back to more crime fiction but i know it's very popular so have
0: you heard about the story that agatha christie disappeared herself no no is that a Doctor Who episode? Because that definitely pops up in Doctor. Oh, Who. Oh no, this is real. This is real. <laughs> this is a real thing that happened. I mean, it might be in a Doctor Who episode as well. I actually learned this from Drunk History on YouTube.
1: Well, I think in the Doctor Who episode, she
0: gets attacked by giant bees. So maybe not. that's probably not what really happened.
1: They are very big in the show. Yeah? Okay, I mean,
0: um, that. I mean, God, that's a terrifying thought. Especially because there are these sort of African hornets or something, aren't they? That, yeah, uh, that sort of comes nerd into nerd the, the news every now and again. Maybe it was those. But no. in in real life, she basically upped and left her house one night and then wasn't seen or heard of for 11 days and then was found chilling out in a hotel. And she said she didn't remember how she got there. So in the process of trying to find her, Arthur Conan Doyle hosted... A sort of seance with a medium using one of agatha christie's gloves classic to try and contact arthur conan doyle. <laughs> her classic arthur conan doyle he loves a bit of a seance <laughs> obviously she wasn't found because well the medium couldn't find her because she was alive and well she was just chewing in a hotel and ultimately never no one ever found out what happened oh the other fun fact i learned was that the police brought in dorothy sayers who was another prominent detective murder mystery writer to come along to where Uh, agatha christie was last seen which was her car which has stopped on a country on a country road and she tried to use her sort of writing skills to work out what had happened with little success but yeah ultimately she was found and she said she didn't remember what happened and she never spoke of it again it was just a thing that happened that is incredibly weird very weird that
1: seems like something that should be a story or be maybe it has been a film i'm not sure maybe she just wanted a bit of a break i don't know yeah it would be very on brand for her to be like i'm gonna disappear in a very suspicious way and let people try and solve
0: the mystery of where i went but apparently on a sad note her husband was having an affair and you know she maybe wasn't very happy about that so some people have suggested that maybe she kind of had a bit of a breakdown because she was very unhappy which is that's obviously very sad but it was just a weirdly as you say weirdly on-brand thing to do for agatha christie but very odd
1: so yeah i'm not sure if i would read more agatha christie but again if if people have good recommendations i would love to give it a go i'd also would like to get stuck into some uh some more murder mysteries from around that time so maybe more arthur conan doyle as well and kind of see how they match up to today's sort of thing I, I do wonder if we've been a little bit overexposed to crime fiction and maybe that's why it had a bit of a numbing effect on me whereas at the time it was probably very interesting and exciting but um yeah
0: but yeah I'm not sure I gelled with the book necessarily but that's an interesting point especially with I was thinking when I was doing some reading around for this podcast episode that true crime podcasts have become really big in recent years serial I feel mm. like Was one of the biggest, the first series of serial. And there are now lots of podcasts that delve into cold cases and that sort of thing. And I wonder having this kind of glut of real true crime makes some of the stories from that period feel a little bit pedestrian, maybe.
1: It's true. But then also, the thing I think you miss out with true crime is you don't necessarily find out the truth or the resolution at the end. And that can be quite disappointing whereas crime fiction can be a bit more creative in that way
0: well exactly be creative whereas it'd be a sort of a bit insensitive if anything to be kind of take liberties with someone's real awful traumatic story yeah very true i was looking a little bit into the sort of history of murder mysteries as well and generally people seem to say that it got its start in sort of the early 19th century with edgar Allan poe and sort of took off from there And interestingly what I read was that it became kind of popular basically because more people becoming literate and all these literate people were gagging for uh, sensational stories that they could get their teeth into.
1: How times have changed. Yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: and Arthur Conan Doyle published the Sherlock Holmes mysteries as sort of episodes in a newspaper and people would sort of Gobble them down! All these newly literate people who who wanted all these interesting, sometimes gory stories. As we said, true crime is really popular now. Nothing changes, but I feel like things are more graphic these days, or a bit more gruesome than maybe they they are maybe described in in stories by Conan Doyle and Agatha Christie. But mm, that's probably true. How gruesome? How gruesome is murder on the Orient Express? Uh, is it gruesome? not really? I mean,
1: you hear about how he was murdered, but it's not on a particularly gruesome way i mean obviously if you if you were there looking at it i don't think it'd be very pleasant to look at i mean it is it is interesting because i mean yes yeah, isn't really a spoiler i'm just gonna say he gets stabbed a lot essentially but what is quite interesting and i do wonder if this is a real detective thing because this seems very sherlock holmesian as well is um poirot can tell that he was stabbed initially by a right-handed person and then by a left-handed person based on the way that the wounds are and I don't know if you would be able to tell that in real life but I imagine you probably could again I'm no expert but it's just such an interesting thing to to look down and notice. I know Sherlock Holmes does that a lot and it's kind of a sign of his brilliant genius mind that he can see these things. So Poirot
0: too. I guess as well, of course, in like early 20th century, late 19th century, you're not gonna have this forensics on the level that we have them. So well done, Sherlock Holmes and Poirot. What's your second book? Okay, so my second book is The Secret History by Donna Tartt and Mm. i chose this because it is described as an inverted mystery so we know right from the start that someone has been murdered and we also know right from the start or at least we have a good idea from the start who did it and it's more a kind of how done it rather than a who done it so the story details how we get from these group of friends to this murder mystery so to give you a short synopsis the secret history follows richard he's a uni student who's just started at an elite college in vermont and he starts to study greek under a and eccentric scholar and he joins a small group of other students who are also in this greek class and richard goes on to tell the story of how one of the group bunny comes to be murdered and the lasting effects of his death and i would bring this along because i think being an inverted mystery is would maybe give me a bit of an insight into some of those behaviors that murderers and their accomplices might display and their ways of thinking because really the story is about how this murder happens and the events leading up to the murder and then also how the people responsible start to unravel i could maybe use that to exploit the person responsible in our murder mystery situation have you read Mm. the secret history
1: I have yeah I read it quite a long time ago so I couldn't remember when you initially spoke about the murder I couldn't remember who got murdered but yeah I can see how that would be that would be really useful in terms of and then it comes back again to this idea of human nature and kind of knowing what to look out for knowing uh, how people betray their guilt or how people betray their innocence because she she does well she kind of touches on this idea of you're given a death and a mystery to solve straight away and then the rest Mm. of the book you're kind of in that character's headspace as they're thinking about that mystery and that death and how involved they are in in what happened and trying to solve it but she does she does like these kind of high octane mysterious sort of scenarios
0: although I wouldn't really call a secret history high octane in that <laughs> maybe just the golf yeah i mean there's a lot of people sort of just sitting around discussing what's happened and i think that's one of the things when reading the secret history i did have a love hate relationship with it in that i did find big portions of it where i just thought is anything going to happen I mean, they're just sitting around talking. Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, there would be a moment that was just so well written and so, I don't know, not shocking is the wrong word, but it's a book that sort of draws you in and you become as paranoid and as you have this enclosed feeling that I think Richard feels as well, the protagonist. So it does this really effectively, Mm -hmm. but then, yeah, there are also those moments where I'm sort of, um, I was left wondering if anything was going to happen at all
1: i think that happens a bit in the goldfinch as yeah, well
0: these moments of where you're really in the characters
1: paranoia and fear and you couldn't and you really empathize with them but there are other stretches where just nothing's going yeah. on and the secret history not the secret history sorry the little friend i would argue
0: is a lot of yeah, that okay. maybe <laughs> not wondering what the characters because i've thinking. read i have read yeah. the goldfinch as well so it would help me complete the trilogy but maybe maybe not or maybe save it for I, a long journey when I've got nothing yeah, else to do. Maybe I need
1: to. Maybe I need to reread it. I think that was actually the first one of hers that I ever read, so it didn't get me off to a great mm. start. Yeah, there's a lot I want I could say about it, but it was spoiler, and, and there might be some people who are really big fans. It could just be my own personal taste and, and headspace at the time, so maybe yeah. I need to give it a reread. But um, but no, that's a good one to bring, I think, and also just a yeah. you know, it'd be quite a fun book to read while you're going through this stressful scenario. Yeah,
0: it can just be like, guys. I need to not look at the body in the middle of the carriage. I'm just going to go off and read for a bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just read some Jonathan. I think what it is also good at looking at is you know why this main character, Richard sort of, there's a moment when he knows who's murdered Bunny. So Richard's not involved in the murder, but he finds out who has. And there's a point where he could just go and tell the police. Like he could just go and dob everyone in, but he doesn't. And, the the reason for that is that he's so enamored of this group of students that he's fallen in with in his greek class and you can kind of you can the book does a really good job of telling you why that is i don't think the characters are particularly likable but you can see why richard likes them and there's a lot i mean there's, there's multiple themes in the book but a really strong one that runs through it, i think is class and richard is sort of kind of lower middle class i would say and the rest of the group he falls into a very upper class they have lots of money they have houses and nice clothes and all of this and he falls for that and he that's so attractive to him and it's and the pull is so strong that he's willing to kind of forgive them anything really including murder
1: there's the romantic attachment as well isn't there i think isn't he kind of in love with one of the
0: yeah oh yeah the one girl in the group exactly yeah and there's that as well But I think some people have said um, in some of the reviews I've read that he's more sort of in love with the idea of her than her, perhaps. And he sort of sees Mm. her as this entry into really becoming one of the group because he always feels like a bit of an outsider. And I think, you know, it's a good reminder that murderers are not, or people that do bad things that don't necessarily always appear or aren't necessarily strangers or weirdos or, or whatever. They can be incredibly charming people and in fact it's their charm that maybe lets them get away with things because they would never be suspected
1: Mm, and i think that's probably so relevant to so many different types of crime maybe not on the extreme level of murder but there are so many scenarios where people use their charm to play all kinds of systems and yeah
0: and certainly use their class
1: yeah and and it is quite scary to think of how you'd be as the outsider in that and if you're really charmed by it literally um then how you would be able to look at that scenario with a sort of objective eye. Um, So yeah, Mm. I think that's a good one.
0: Yeah. Uh, Should we go to my second one? Yeah, what's your second one?
1: We are powering through these. So my second one is uh, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. It's not quite a conventional murder mystery in the same way that uh, the Agatha Christie was, but, but it is a very interesting mystery story. There is a murder in it or a death in it that is ambiguous and it's got lots of twists and turns. Um, It was published in 1938. And it follows a young woman whose name we never find out. She marries a wealthy widower who is named Maxim de Winters. So I'll I'll refer to her as Mrs. de Winters. I think he's a lot older. I think she's quite, I think she's in her early 20s. He's probably in his 40s, but he's very kind, but she's always kind of unsure. She always thinks he married her because he was pitying her. So she moves into his home. But once she gets there, she's plagued by the memory of this glamorous, perfect sounding first wife of his who was called Rebecca. And particularly that's fuelled by the devotion from the housekeeper, Mrs. Danvers. And it is—I think it's a classic. It, it was—it was made into a very classic Hitchcock film, and it also has a very famous opening line, which is uh, "Last night I dreamed I went to Mandalay again," which hooks you straight away. But the—the the reason I think I'd have it in my kit is that. I mean, the one thing I really loved about this book, I don't know if you've read it, I'm sure if anyone's read it, but it's its kind of the relatability of thinking that you know everything about someone. Idolising them completely in your head and thinking they could not have done a thing wrong, particularly if they're dead, particularly if they're someone's ex, if it's your current husband's ex, it's very easy to idolise them. And you wouldn't even dare to think that you're wrong. But And, and I think that would be really important in a real-life murder mystery scenario, where depending on who the dead person is... It would be very easy to jump to conclusions to have form ideas about who they were or how they would have kind of gone through the scenario or gone through life from there on and you could romanticize them and i think we all that tends to happen quite a lot is once someone's dead you sort of remember them in this very fond way and you also might think that you know what living people's perceptions of them were when they were alive and indeed when they're dead and that you could be completely wrong or you could be completely right and I think that that makes it harder to probably find a decent motive if it's the person who's been murdered but I think it's a good thing to remember and I think it's really interesting how in that book she has such a clear idea of how everyone perceives her and how everyone perceives rebecca and she can be proven completely wrong about everything it's quite a conventional storyline you see it in quite a few things i think if you've read the miniaturist by jesse burton it's a similar sort of thing where it's a young woman marries an older man goes to his house is based by a lot of hostility from his staff i actually saw a movie around the same time as I read it called Crimson Peak um, I think it might have been Guillermo de Toro but I'm not sure again similar sort of thing young woman marries a man household is very hostile you know we last week we talked about the turn of the screw it's kind of a good formula but Rebecca's a really good ex- a really classic example of how that kind of mystery is done really well and it's also written in a very accessible way it feels very you can just race through it in a way that some classic literature is a little bit more meaty to get into so
0: is there does she she uncovers something about rebecca so yeah her husband's ex-wife i don't believe he
1: really talks about her but she starts to hear sort of strange circumstances surrounding her death and then there are some other characters who come in who start to present a little bit more of mystery surrounding it. So the narrator, and I think it's very powerful that she doesn't have a name. I mean, it says I'd love to write an essay about this book. I think it's absolutely fascinating the way they treat, you know, women and identity, and and you know, murder mystery and the sort of gothic feel as well. Um, she, she yes. Yeah, so essentially, she. I don't. I don't know if she actively is figuring out the mystery but i think it becomes something that she becomes obsessed with and she becomes obsessed with this woman and uh, slowly you kind of learn what happened to her and yeah it is just a case of because you're in her her mind you're seeing everything through her eyes it is a case of trust in your instincts but not not necessarily trying to jump to conclusions basically making sure that you're looking at everything through as objective an eye as possible which i think would be really helpful in murder mystery and it kind of comes back to what you were saying as well about the secret history where it's in rich's case he gets so emotionally caught up in the group that then he can't look at it objectively at all even though what they did was an awful thing yeah it's about you know taking a step back and sort of separating yourself emotionally from
0: the mystery that that's why it would be in my kit i guess similar to some of the things we talked about in our first episode around how women would be placed in these domestic situations as wives as governesses as maids and you know as part of staff and have such limited autonomy and i wonder if that plays into some of the the themes of rebecca in that having never read it but it sounds like you've got this this woman who is moved to a new home because it's now her husband it's her husband's home and she's taken her husband's name and she's in these new surroundings but with very little maybe very little opportunity to really control anything around her
1: well i think it's more the opposite it's more that she's expected to become the lady of the house and the the manager of the household but she's very inexperienced and also facing this living in this great yeah. looming shadow of this woman who did it before who she's been constantly told did it perfectly and was this wonderful person so it's not so much that she doesn't have autonomy it's that she's kind of put into this role that she has to occupy by virtue of being a woman at this time being a wife and her being completely unprepared for it and completely emotionally not ready yeah. for that it's so similar it's
0: weird when you think about it in that way in that women they were just managed they were managers they were like CEOs of the household. <laughs>
1: yeah. You could argue they still are in a lot of cases.
0: <laughs> yeah. They don't get the credit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've never... I don't think I've read any Daphne de, de Maurier. You've definitely made it sound like a, a, a book to read. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like a one that's going to have a lot of lessons for our, our murder mystery environment as well, which is what we need. So when I was thinking about a third one to add to my list, to put in my first aid kit... To be honest, I started struggling at number three because it's not a genre I read very much. Same, yeah. I think I agree with you. And once I started looking around, I started to see things that were sort of murder mysteries, but you didn't really necessarily think of them as murder mysteries. Having said that, the last book that I thought I'd pack does sort of describe itself as a murder mystery so it is the curious incident of the dog in night time ah lovely by mark haddon i'm sure lots of people have read this book it, it was a massive bestseller it's been made into a theater show as well which i've also seen and really enjoyed amazing set on on that show but for those of you who haven't read it it follows the story of a 15 year old called christopher who is on the autism spectrum and he starts to investigate the killing of his neighbour's dog and he, he proceeds to write a murder mystery about the killing based on his findings as he uncovers them. But ultimately he uncovers something that completely upends his his entire world and changes everything he thought he knew about his family. So it's, it's a murder mystery about a dog, but of course is about a lot more than that. And I think it's a good one to have, quite a good one to have as a how-to, similar to your one, Nick, in that Christopher is very systematic in his approach to solving the mystery of, of the dead dog. And there's definitely something that can be learned from him. And he, something that can sometimes be a power for him, but of course can sometimes also be something inhibits him in life is his observational skills and that he kind of notices everything but of course that kind of sensory overload can be too much for him at times but the ability to notice things is something that helps him with the murder mystery and would be maybe something that would help help me in my murder mystery environment but I also like it as a book because it's, it's a good read but you know it centers someone in a narrative that is not someone we often see in literature and I think on the whole people felt that Mark Haddon's portrayal of Christopher was was good and felt very true to people who who are on the autism spectrum particularly people who have Asperger's but he has said in subsequent interviews that he didn't really do very much research on Asperger's and he read a few articles but ultimately he felt that he didn't want to label Christopher and sort of end up writing a stereotyped character so as someone who doesn't have experience of, of autism I can't say whether it is faithful or not but i think in general people did feel it was and i think yeah i think it's really good to have someone doing a murder mystery and being at the center of a story who we don't often see in in the literature that we read And um, also teaching us something about it as as we go. I didn't know that he hadn't done any research. And
1: I thought maybe he was basing it on someone he knew. Quite brave in a way. I mean, you could argue quite irresponsible if he did it badly. But I guess if if he did it well, then that is something...
0: I agree. I think it's a very fine line to walk in that if you're not going to do any research, you're definitely going to run a risk. I I, I can see Mm. where he's coming from in that if you do too much, then you start to write someone that sounds like they're from a textbook so I think it's probably when you're writing someone who has a different lived experience from yourself I imagine you have to just just have to feel your way through that and sort of find a balance between doing your research and not just writing someone that is a stereotype
1: um, I suppose in a way as well it, it gives it more permission for not for the story not to be about that it's, yeah it's a part of his identity but it's not yeah and I guess that's probably what he was trying to do where he didn't want to go into a stereotype and have it be yeah a murder mystery with a less Conventional protagonists that we're not used to seeing.
0: And the story, exactly, and the story is it's important that Christopher has these attributes, but actually, the things he learns about the people around him tell us much more about people and the way they behave, and the complicated nature of emotions and the complicated nature of behaviour. You know, Christopher, one of the things that Christopher struggles with is understanding emotions and how and how people behave and understanding the logic behind people's behavior which can can sometimes feel very strange to him but then you're left as the reader thinking well you know fair dues because the way people behave is often illogical and doesn't really make sense and i think it's kind of an interesting way of looking at behavior and, and behavioral patterns in people Have you got one more that you've packed? I do. Yes, again,
1: similar to my last one, similar to your ones. Not really a murder mystery, but it is an interesting mystery book. And that is Fingersmith by Sarah Waters. It's not a murder mystery, but it is a story. It's full of twists, full of clues, always keeps you guessing. And I think that's really fun and kind of fits into the murder mystery genre so Sarah Waters wrote it it was published in 2002 but it was set in the Victorian era and it Mm -hmm. follows the story of Sue she's kind of this Dickensian Fagan-esque young woman I think she's living in this kind of gang of thieves in Victorian London and she agrees to be part of a plot created by a man that's nicknamed Gentleman to seduce and Mm -hmm. scam a rich young woman named Maud so the idea is that Gentleman's gonna seduce her and marry her, and Sue is going to go along and be her made and help kind of help that happen uh but when she gets there at the house and she meet Maud, she uh she realizes it's not going to be as easy as she thinks it'll be and i won't say any more for spoilers because it is really a book that you need to just go in and just go with the flow which is really brilliant i will say it was it was adapted into a um korean film rather recently called the handmaiden uh i say recently it's probably the last four four or five years or so and it was completely reset in a uh, South Korea in the nineteen thirties. So it kind of speaks to the strong plot, um, that you can, you know, reset it in other countries and eras and still have that same powerful story coming through and also tell very different stories about you know, it is a a book about class and about, you know, other themes that I won't say because I want you to read it and if you haven't read it already, I want you to read it and and, and uncover all the mysteries. And the reason I put it in my first aid kit is I think it's really a reminder to question everything ever, particularly things that you see and you hear there is one particular moment where one character thinks another character is laughing but later we find out that actually she was crying and so it was, it, it was it's basically everything's in the eye of the beholder so my reminder for this going into my murder mystery from this book would be to always learn the full story Mm. always trust your instincts If you think someone is good they probably are and don't get involved in any plots to double cross or cover up anything as chances are it'll go completely wrong and that's why i'd bring it along and also i just read it because it's great but then also maybe once you know it you can spot the clues earlier on as well so well yeah i was
0: gonna say that's sometimes the fun of it isn't it where you if once you've seen something all the way through Mm. you can go back and pick up on all the things that you missed which is Half the fun. Yeah,
1: and good stories tend to do that. The authors tend to put drop these little clues in early on mm. and sort foreshadowing moments that then you can it should be a rewarding thing to reread it or rewatch something.
0: And we talked a bit about writing female characters in settings where women were less able to be strong, powerful women. Yeah. Is that something that you think about when you think about fingersmith? Do you oh, feel like the female characters felt very modern, or did they fit the setting and had um, that into? I think they
1: they are very much trapped by circumstance in so many ways. Yeah, um, they are very confined to a certain way of being, and I mean they are written because you're you're in the two women's heads. You start off in Sue's. and then in the second half of the book you go into Maud's and it kind of goes in between. You know, you do still read them as modern women. I think she does a very good job of basically just revealing that women have always been these very complex, interesting characters. It's just that they are so confined by their setting that they never Mm. really got a chance to be the protagonists of stories. I mean, there are so many themes in the book are about the fact that they are so effectively being played by men constantly and being played by people more Mm. powerful than them, which is often men, often men of a higher class and about how them them kind of overcoming these barriers and also around um, sexuality and the way that young women had to be then not fitting with who they felt they were. And I I do, I'm really hesitant to say too much about it because I want it to
0: be a really interesting and surprising read again, and I'm sure we will discover every time we talk about sort of genre fiction, is that it's a vehicle for a discussion of so Mm. much more. And you can have a murder mystery or a thriller that is, yes, it's about a dead body and who killed them, but actually it's about class, it's about gender, it's about power, which is why I think it's such a shame that genre fiction just sort of gets disregarded so so easily Mm. a lot of the time on that kind of theme i was recommended and i would i would recommend on a podcast it's a three episode series by the ideas podcast so if you look up ideas podcast it should come up Um, and the series is called reading of a grain of salt and it talks about how kind of snobbery in reading and how do we get into a situation where we we say some books are worthy and some books are less worthy and talks a lot about this idea of genre fiction and why we decided to split things into high literature very important literary fiction and then thrillers and mm. lit and uh, all this sort of stuff it's a really, it's a really interesting listen so I definitely recommend that to kind of get a bit of an insight into basically why we as humans are obsessed with categorising things and making sure that everyone knows we only read the good but, stuff but you know what's the... interesting is that a lot of classic literature that's really revered
1: in its day was genre fiction and the reason that we revere yeah. it is because it tells so much about the time and the setting and the themes that we've been discussing themes about class themes about mm. gender genre fiction does that really well whereas some more I guess literary fiction maybe doesn't do that as well maybe it's revered for very different reasons so yeah. it would be very interesting to see when we are old ladies uh, which hopefully climate change won't have wiped us all out by then
0: well according to conversation with friends oh yeah I mean, I'm basically halfway uh, to the grave true, anyway. Yeah. So. Well, I didn't want to say anything, but yeah, you are.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm still young and vibrant because I'm still in yeah. my late 20s.
0: <laughs> the crucial You're hanging difference. hanging on in to your 20s also interesting I'm trying to toss up in my head quickly how many female authors did we have i've got 3 i've got two out of i my noticed three. that
1: last week as well we we love a lady we author do. as my dad <laughs> would say a woman author
0: and obviously agatha christie one of the most famous murder mystery writers is a woman
1: I wonder with a very famous female detective as well. Miss Marple was a
0: big. I was one. trying to see if there was a link when I was thinking about female murder mystery writers. I hadn't anticipated that we would have so many, but I was trying to make a, a Wondering if there was a link before we recorded between female uh, women writing murder mysteries or, and the fact that women seem to really love true crime coming back to our true crime conversation and i was having a little bit of a google and reading some articles to see if i could work out why no one really seems to have any really clear ideas why women seem to listen to these shows at a slightly higher rate than men i wonder if you kind of went through all of the murder mysteries of the last 150 years if you would see if there were more male or female writers i have no idea but i wonder if there is something i don't know in the is reacting against society with women sort of being Having that maybe morbid curiosity about death and crime.
1: I mean, I don't know if this really relates to how women are writing about it, but you definitely think a lot more about crime as a woman because mm. you feel much more vulnerable to it, and that's really true. Yeah. You know, is much more of a priority in your day-to-day life is thinking about, and that's why I'm actually a little bit more surprised because I think that some of these true crime podcasts can tend to sort of forget about the female victims. Yes, very involved, much so. And it becomes they just become the body in the yeah. scenario, whereas in reality there's a lot more kind of shocking elements to it i mean in terms of the way that in with books i think women tend to be more readers in general i th- I think i read somewhere that middle class women are the biggest sort of subgroup that are consuming most modern literature so it could be something in that as well it could be about making it accessible mm. i guess if, when i think of famous murder mysteries i mean i do think of agatha christie but i do also think of sherlock mm. holmes so I'm not sure if you look at I mean I'd like to look at something like an article like the top 10 murder mystery books mm-hmm. or something and see the kind of balance there and also because yeah it is interesting that you know Agatha Christie is writing these male protagonists or these male detectives and prob I mean obviously Donna Tartt's protagonists tend to be male yeah, as well true. is there something in that I don't know
0: yeah you raise the point about yeah women sometimes getting forgotten in true crime broadcasts, which I think is is really true and actually is a a problematic aspect of those sorts of things as well but i also it reminded me of something else that i was thinking about which is that in in a lot of detective stories particularly those written by men i'm thinking of people like john grisham and stig larson you often have women as as you say as the victim and they've often been kind of raped and like left for dead and had these really awful things happen to them and then it's the burly detective ultimately sort of Mm. post-mortem way saves them um, by finding their killer and bringing them to justice.
1: Yeah, I I really noticed that I watched, um, I rewatched a really old drama recently uh, called The Night Of. I don't know if you ever saw it. And it was based on a British show called Criminal Justice, which is, it kind of copied it word for word. It's quite interesting. But what really bothered me about it was the way that a woman gets murdered in a very gruesome way. I think she's stabbed a lot. And the it was like the camera was obsessed with showing us the body and the fact she was mm. naked and constantly you're you just bombarded with images of her dead body mm. in almost every other scene. And I, it, it felt really gratuitous after a while. Mm. I thought there can't be, there is something a little bit perverse about all this. And I do, I, I know that, I wonder if that's, it seems to be something that's happening a bit less now in, in more modern dramas.
0: Mm. I, yeah. And I don't know if it is get, playing into that trope of you know the white knight but in a sort of slightly twisted way and yeah the savior is kind of saving them after death by yeah
1: and maybe you're supposed to like sympathize more with the victim Mm. when it's a woman because i even thought that about uh we didn't touch on this last week but i really wanted to i thought about it afterwards was about how in these haunted house stories the ghosts are normally women yeah you know got like the woman in black or their or their children quite often it's meant to really creep you out and it's almost that It's because these, you know, women and children are not meant to be scary things. Mm. So when you see them in these frightening settings, it's extra jarring because you're not used to associating Mm. these figures with being frightened. And I wonder if there's a similar sort of thing with murder victims being female. It's that they're extra vulnerable, extra sort of, you feel this extra empathy yeah. for the victim. And so you get much more emotionally attached to solving the murder and solving and siding with the usually male detective.
0: Yeah, that sounds um, convincing.
1: And we've got quite a lot of uh, dead men in our books and
0: a dead dog as well. <laughs> yeah. <so>. That's good. <laughs> Equality. I mean, it's not good, but it <laughs> yeah. could be worse. <laughs> well, I think we're pretty well prepared for our trip. I think so too. I mean, I don't know where our murder mystery is taking place, yeah. but wherever it is.
1: I mean, I still think in reality I would, you know, absolutely bottle it and probably run out screaming yeah. and yeah. probably get murdered. I'd probably be the victim. I'd just be really bad. And I'm very unobservant in real life. So, But then maybe these books would remind... That's the whole point, isn't it? These books remind you to go in with a certain way of thinking about it and um,
0: yeah yeah how did you feel about this theme i found it really hard but i think i found it hard until i realized that actually murder mystery slash the broader genre of mystery is much more widespread than you think mm, i would actually do a little
1: shout out to this guy on twitter fergus craig i think his name is what's his at uh, let me find that now and i will re-begin that whole sentence um. it's at fergus craig f-e-r-g-u-s and then craig c-r-a-i-g the reason i bring him up is because he's an actor he does these comedy skits around a very traditional dad and he's at the moment he's doing dad reads from his crime novel it's sort of similar to my dad wrote a porno but it's much more obviously fake it's much more of satire um and it is hilarious because it's just the way that it's kind of taking all the tropes of really dodgy crime fiction mixed with all the kind of stereotypical dad-ish moments. Go mm. on Twitter, watch the videos. They're hilarious. Um, his, I think his detective is called Roger Le Carre, And uh, every time a woman comes in, he'll describe the woman based on how sexually attractive
0: he is. Brilliant. She is.
1: <laughs> Strongly recommend. I, he'd do a much better job of explaining it than I would.
0: I love how in uh, detective stories, the male detective is always grumpy and old and probably divorced and oh, yeah. you know just not very nice to be around but all the women love him oh, and just yeah. want to sleep with him and
1: all the women are super hot it's important to yeah. know that but also
0: you know in in high places they're doing they might be a fellow detective but they are hot so i think that might bring us to a close for today thank you for listening to our murder mystery adventures you can let us know what you agreed with and what you didn't agree with via our social media you can find us at first aid lit on twitter you can also subscribe and recommend us to family and friends next week we'll be packing our first aid kit for time travel adventures so join us then to get involved in the discussion yeah join us then thank you so much